0: Love Storyers, welcome back to another awesome and exciting episode of Love Stories with Morgan and Yara. Today, we have an awesome guest as per usual, and Yara is going to introduce her.
1: Hello, everyone. Today, I'm so excited to have my oldest cousin, Shauna, on the podcast. Uh, This is very exciting because ever since we launched the podcast, She was one of the first big supporters, one of the first listeners. So it's an honor to have her here. a little bit of background, Shauna and I refer to each other as the bookends of the cousins. She's the oldest and I'm the youngest. As we've both gotten older, it's been so amazing to become closer and to realize how similar we are. From our Cards Against Humanity picks to our love for Josh Wine. So Shauna, thank you so much for joining us. Since you're a regular listener... Um, you know that we kick off the episode with having our guests just tell them about the pillars of their identity. So go ahead. The floor is yours.
2: Okay. Thank you, Morgan. Thank you, Yara. Um, Like I told you earlier, I'm super nervous, even though I am somebody who talks all the time for pleasure and I get paid to do it. Um, It still makes me very nervous in settings like this. I feel like I'm kind of bearing it all and I hope I do it justice. Pillars of me. So they kind of all interconnect, I really feel. First and foremost, I think, especially because the last over a decade, I've been a mother. um, I'm a mom. I am a mother effing mom. You're going to have to put the E on my episode, okay? Just so we're clear. Along with that, it all ties together, I'm an educator. I'm an educator, that is a huge part of my life. I'm hitting almost 20 years in that profession. I'm walking down the hill, you know, to walk out the door. I'm actually over the halfway point. And then this one's really broad strokes, but the other true pillar of me is I'm a woman. And in that being a woman, that encompasses those other little niches that I didn't put as one of my three pillars. I'm a daughter, I'm a wife. I'm a sister. I'm a friend. I'm all those things that a woman is um, constantly changing my hat. You forgot cousin. (laughs) I am a cousin 100% to an amazing group of cousins. Yes. And an aunt. If I'm going to go there, I am also um, a very proud aunt of quite a few on, on both sides.
0: I love hearing you describe who you are and the fact that all of those things are so interconnected and so intersectional and you can't divorce the fact that you're a woman from the fact that you're a mom from the fact that you're an educator. And that's just an awesome way to kind of think about it. But because you started with being a mom, I want to start with that too. So I want to hear, tell us about your kids. Tell us about that experience.
2: This one's a bit of a doozy. Um, All right. So I got to start with I was married at, uh, I am married, but I was married at 26. And the thought was, you know, we'll have kids in a couple of years. So off we went on the journey to, to have children. Um, And, you know, we tried the way that you normally would try. Um, And that was not in our cards. So, so this is an interesting one because I don't know how many people in my family know i'm about to share but i'm okay with that i'm okay i'm almost 43 i have two amazingly beautiful children my children don't know this but maybe i'll let them listen to this podcast when i'm ready to tell them Um, but we did have to go through fertility for both of our children i was very lucky to have a friend going through it at the same time who encouraged me to advocate for myself um, to get the best. And one of the best in North America happens to be a practicing fertility specialist in a suburb very close to the suburb I live in. So I was referred to him and we went through the process. And I have to say that as difficult as it can be to have to go through fertility, I was blessed. I had textbook fertility treatments. I did not have to go through years and years and years. Uh, I had to go through quite a bit of money, uh, but I didn't have to go through years and years and years basically, my daughter was first try fresh embryo. Um, I was questioned at the time, why aren't you putting two in? It's the norm, I said, because twins are not something I'm down with. And even more than that is also not something I'm down with. So we're not taking that chance. Um, I was 30 years old. But as my doctor said to me, uh, they were 29 year old embryos because they were harvested when I was still 29. And he said that is in your favor. So we went in with one our first fresh one, she stuck. She stuck around and um, nine months later, pretty much exactly, I had Lena Aaliyah, um, who is freaking amazing. Um, Yeah, Yara's nodding, proud auntie. She she was the first baby um, on our side of the family. On my husband, she was the third grandchild. On my side, she was the first grandchild for all my parents, their siblings, Uh, You know, that's how we roll in our family. There's no, oh, this is your great aunt. And it's like, no, these are all your grandparents, right? They all, we just go generationally. These are all your aunts. It doesn't matter that they're not my sister directly. All your aunts, all your cousins. And there was Lena. So again, the hope was to have another one shortly after, because again, I was 30. And because we'd started the process, it was like, okay, we do want a second child. I have a sibling. My husband has a sibling. Siblings were very important to us to give a sibling to our child. And I was lucky enough to get pregnant with a second embryo. Uh, when Lena was a little over two. So Yara, you are probably doing some math now. Um, I do not have a child who's two years younger than Lena. So I did have a miscarriage. I think Lena got me through that. I think that I bounced back much quicker because I had that baby to fill my heart up. And um, the pregnancy was uh, ended very early. So I think that was a little bit easier for me as well. We went to a third embryo that did not ever take. And then we went to our fourth. Uh, we had five in a freezer. So we had Lena and we had our five in a freezer. So we were down to three and we kind of said, okay, we had an end point in our minds. We were getting older. We're like, if it doesn't happen in the next two years, we're done. We're good. We have an amazing daughter. And then I did become pregnant with that embryo. And I actually thought I was miscarrying that embryo twice in the first um, eight weeks. And at that point, there's nothing you can do. It just is a lost pregnancy And I went and got all my bloods checked and I was told, no, you are very pregnant still. And sure enough, I was. And on January 19th, Aiden Hugh, Hugh is his maternal grandfather, sorry, his paternal grandfather's first name. And as Aiden kind of progressed, he's seven now. I could see that fighting spirit that he had at eight weeks when we thought that he was not going to see this world. Uh, He is a feisty guy, he fights, and he's passionate. And it really is telling even the way my two pregnancies were, uh, who my children are now, I think I really do believe that who they become, like, there's a lot of kind of paths that are already predetermined for them. And I think in the womb is one of them, because where Lena is as soft and easy as her pregnancy was, Aiden is so not.
1: I'm really happy you shared that because even I didn't know all of that. So thank you for sharing that. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that.
0: So obviously Yara and myself, neither of us have kids yet. And so the story that we're told about pregnancy and about the journey to get pregnant it seems very linear first comes love then comes marriage then comes a baby in a baby carriage and so it's really powerful and thank you again for sharing that to hear that your path wasn't that linear and also thank you so much for sharing that you lost two babies because i know that that's something that is way more common than we ever hear about I want to hear a little bit more about when you realized that it was, that it wasn't going to be so easy for you to have your first baby to have Lena. How did you deal with that? Or how did you handle that in that first time when you kind of learned that this was going to be a different path for you?
2: So I did mention um, a friend, she was a woman that I worked with and she was going through fertility at the same time. I am a sharer. I there's things people don't know, but there's a lot that people do know. And I think uh, what gets me through a lot of things in life is talking like you mentioned about miscarriage being very common um when you do start that conversation it is very common to hear just in your own friends group oh me too yes i also or oh my it's very common Again, when, when we realized it was gonna be a journey, um, I think I was 28. And I know I'd always had an irregular cycle. I do have polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I wasn't completely like, whoa, really? I'm gonna have trouble, but I was hoping I wouldn't because at a younger age, I was told, no, you'll be fine when you get to that age. Um, also, cause not much was known about PCOS when I was younger you know what, Morgan, I roll with the punches in a lot of things in my life. Not to say that I'm always happy about things, not to say that I don't feel or I don't cry. I cry a lot. I'm a cancerian. But it was just kind of day by day. And like I said, even though I had to go through fertility, and it was a longer process, right? It wasn't like, hey, drunken weekend, nine months later, baby, right? It was not like that. I mean, really, the fun part of making a baby was actually taken out of the equation for us, right? Everything was very regimented. Um, And we went through a couple paths first because I wasn't willing at 28 to just go right to IVF. I thought, whoa, that's a bit invasive. So uh, my fertility doctor was, you know, and he was straight up. He was like, look, you're going to need to, this is where you're ending up, but to humor you, I'm going to let you try all the things because you're young and you do have the right to try all the things. So I, you know, did my basal temperature every morning, all of that jazz. Um, He thought I'd made up my plot craft because it was so erratic He's like, did you just, I said, no, I I took it every morning. Like I got it to a science where I didn't move because you can't move. You'll change that temperature. And I just reached my hand like this and didn't move and took that temperature, right? Because it's got to be that perfect resting temperature. Um, But again, I was lucky to have a, a, a doctor who allowed me to go through and trial and error and see for myself that, you know, I maybe needed to do something a bit more. Um, And then I was confident because I was working with one of the best fertility specialists in North America, his success rate was amazing. The process was very textbook. So as much as yes, I had to go through fertility treatments. It was, you know, I got a calendar, as you can see from the notes I told you about, I'm very organized, I had a binder, the binder had tabs, I had calendars and color coding, it wasn't fun. I had to learn to inject myself on a daily basis uh, with drugs. I had to talk to my principal who was a very difficult man at that time who I was working with and explain to him that, hey, I'm going to have drugs and syringes in the staff fridge and I'm going to need to leave my classroom and go to the bathroom to stick it in myself. Cool. Cool. Right. So there was that kind of stuff, but nothing that was going to stop the process. And I just, I went through it day by day and everything kind of hit those markers. You know, I get my results for something and it was always, hey, you've got lots of embryos blooming in there. I'm like, all right, let's do this, right? And then because I think, because Lena's uh, implantation was so successful, I think that that also encouraged me. And when it did get a little bit harder after I had that faith, and I and I also had the support. My parents, Gary's parents, knew what we were going through, so they were supportive. My mom came with me to appointments. I had a friends group. I had more than one friend at that time who was actually going through fertility. One of my dear girlfriends, who is no longer with us, she was going through it uh, at the same time. Our children are just a few months apart. The oldest, and I actually gave her the shot in the butt that got her pregnant, and I did it in my classroom, that is still my classroom. So there was joy even within the struggle. And I think when you can find women, especially women who are going through the things you are going through, um, and you're willing to be open and you're willing to make yourself vulnerable and speak with them and say, Hey, I'm going through this, I think that you're going to find uh, the support. And of course, I can't um, leave out my spouse, because this was a joint effort. He was very, very cognizant of the fact that it was my body going through all the difficulties. So he made sure he made his damnedest. And, and, you know, 13 years later, he still remembers and he makes sure that he meets my needs in every way that he can possibly, because he knows that it was my body and he couldn't take that part from me. It had to be my body, but then he made sure that I wanted for nothing else. And that I was comfortable in every other aspect.
0: That's amazing. And it's so beautiful to hear that you had such a big support system around you. What you said about like, it's important to share because you don't know who else might be going through something that's similar to what you're going through. And so then instead of going through that experience by yourself, you were able to share it. Even with your friend who passed, who I'm thinking of her. And thank you for sharing a little bit of her story too. Do you have any advice or any thoughts that you think would be helpful to share for anybody who might be listening, who maybe they're going through these same kinds of troubles or maybe they've lost a baby any wisdom that you learned in going through that experience that might be helpful for others.
2: In general, I don't consider myself very wise. So when you say wisdom, uh, but I just think, I think you have to have faith. I think there's an element of faith in all of this. If it's something that, you know, you really want. Um, And I know I live in Canada, right? So I know there's differences even in attaining this type of medical care financially right economically uh, we did have to pay out of pocket for a lot of it but then the drug portion a lot of it was covered so I know that there's different obstacles that arise um, if you're not living where I live but just in terms of you know the struggle either of having children or of losing children I think for me the best advice that I can give is be open because you're really not alone. You're really not alone. It is crazy how many women, I mean, as much as childbirth and um, not just the birth, but conception and childbirth are technically, you know, what we're put on earth to do, what our bodies are meant to do biologically it's crazy what your body goes through. And it's not surprising that loss is so prevalent, or difficulty is so prevalent. It doesn't shock me, because when you really think of the science behind what happens inside of you, it's kind of like it's a fuck, right? So, so be open and and talk. And if you don't want to talk to the people closest to you, you know what, talk to randos, my advice really for everything in life. I do reach out to my friends a lot. I am an oversharer. Uh, but that brings me the support that I need.
0: So you said that Lena's 13 now or she's 12?
2: She is 12. She's a November baby. So um, though she's in grade seven, she's always one of the youngest. And then Aiden's on the other side. He's a January baby. So he is one of the eldest in his class.
0: 12 and seven, a boy and girl. I want to hear a little bit about your upbringing and how you were raised in your family and then kind of how you're translating that or remixing
2: it in doing it with your kids now. So funny enough, I am an older sister to a younger brother who is also approximately five years my junior. So I emulated a lot of my mom's journey, not intentionally, um, if I can kind of talk about that a bit too. So my mom is, uh, was born and raised in Ismaili Muslim, okay, by uh, her faith, as were me and my brother. My dad was not. So my dad was from India, a Parsi. So the religion would be the Zoroastrian faith. They met here. And long story short, my dad actually converted to Islam became an Ismaili Muslim prior to their marriage. And then my brother and I were raised in the faith. My parents were, again, both immigrants to this country at a very young age, an age where most, most of us would not know how to find our way if we were just tossed into a new country. So my mom is from East Africa, from Tanzania, but of Indian, East Indian origin descent. My father is from Mumbai, uh, but he is Parsi and the Parsis are actually from um, Iran. So culturally I am East Indian and I'm East African. Both my parents, though they came from different countries and met in Canada, actually spoke uh, the same language. They both both spoke Gujarati. So very similar culturally, though their religions were different and their upbringings were very different. When I get asked, you know, about the way I look, often it's, you know, are you Italian? Um, I get a lot of European because I am fairer than some Indians um, and that is again because of my Iranian roots because Iranians are actually Caucasian and they met here actually at a birthday party for my dad. Apparently my mom, yes I am telling this story, I may regret it, but my mom came to this party as the date of somebody that my dad had invited to this party. Yes, my dad is an OG. He is a baller. Let me tell you. So this is how I heard the story, okay, from my dad, just so we know where it's coming from. Uh, My dad, I guess, was at the elevator. You know, they all lived in apartments. He said, you know, I went to the elevator to greet my friend who I've never heard this guy's name. And he goes, the elevator opens and there is this woman. And he's like, long hair down to here. And then I'm quoting him. Bam, 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 yeah. So this is the story I heard from my dad at a young, impressionable age of how he met my mom. And then he said, I thought to myself, Sharuk, you're gonna marry this woman. And then I second checked myself and said, yo, you're not marrying anyone, right? Because he was a young bachelor. He came here at 18. My mom tells a slightly different version. My dad's is way better. So they met here. Again, my dad, not an Ismaili Muslim, really not practicing his religion at all. They started dating. You know, my mom was really and still is very much into the community and the religion, the Jamaat Khanna, which is our place of worship, um, you know, going on a regular basis. My dad saw how important it was to her, saw that it was an integral part of her life and when they were planning to get married, chose to convert. And as my dad tells it, it was for the ease of the family because he didn't feel he was giving up anything to convert. Um, And he really just wanted that ease with the children uh, that they hoped to have one day. They had me in 1978 and then they had my brother in 1983. Uh, We are raised first generation born in Canada slash America. And my parents are immigrants who, I mean, the immigrant experience was really just there, right? They hustled, they worked so damn hard uh, to give their children the life that they dreamed of, right? So they hustled so we didn't have to.
0: I love that story. Your dad seems
1: fire. (laughs) The way your dad tells that story is the funniest thing in the world because I have heard it several times and it is one of my favorite things.
0: I want to hear a little bit more about how your upbringing, how you've kind of translated that and or remixed it as you're raising your own kids
2: who are same age, same gender. I don't feel that my parents were strict, especially I think if I relate it to my culture, right? As East Indian parents, but their expectations were high, right? So you had to kind of earn it. We were raised with manners, with respect. And I'm talking like if somebody called our house and I answered the phone, um, you know, and someone would say, Oh, hi, honey, how are you? If I said, I'm fine. Oh, I got the look, the look. It was, I'm fine. Thank you. And how are you? Right? So raised with those really specific manners. And I will say that I have carried those over because they were impactful to me as much as I might have, Okay, mom, rolled my eyes at the time. Um, when you bring those things into adulthood, you realize the impact they have. It's a simple thing to teach a child, a simple thing. And I think it really makes a difference um, just in the way that they are perceived. And that's important as much as you know, you can say, I don't care what people think of me. You, you do need to think, you do need to care what people think of you in certain places and about certain things, right? There's some things that I don't give a shit what people think about me either, But I know where to have that respect and where to have those manners and where they are important and integral to, you know, to my life and to actually make things better for me, right? So things like that really expected those things of us. Um, You know, we always greeted the aunties and the uncles. We were never too cool for that, right? You could go hang with your friends. But again, those manners, that respect were there because we were taught that, you know what, the adults have earned it. Um, And again, I carry that forward with my children too. Little things that I really appreciate that my mom taught me, you know, no one can clean a house like my mom. No one has that pride of ownership like my mom. My mom worked in a law firm for many, many years, downtown Toronto. So my brother and I were, you know, latchkey kids. Um, Again, that's a real bonus of having one sibling five years older. It can happen a lot sooner because in the same way that my children can do that, uh, we did that because I was old enough and he was old enough to just, you know, not be, a complete disaster if I'm looking after him. So we had certain chores and certain jobs, especially on the holidays, the summer holidays, and we were home all day. And one of them was to clean the floors. And we had those, you know, linoleum tiles throughout the house and in the kitchen and whatnot. We never owned a mop. Let me let that sit with you for a minute.
0: What the hell did you use?
2: (laughs) So we were to clean the floor on our hands and knees with a bowl of soapy warm water and a sponge. One of us on our hands and knees doing the scrubbing and the other one following behind with a towel to dry it. That way you could get the baseboards. You could get every little mess around the dining chairs and around the legs, right? Well, my children have to do something similar because you know what? It instilled a pride, right? Of ownership, a pride in our home. We live here. It was never my parents' house. This is our house. But in order to, you know, have it be our house, we needed to respect it. Now, my room was a different story. I'm not going to get into that because I am inherently a slob, but because it's my home now and I pay the mortgage and I pay the bills, I want it to look a certain way. Downstairs, we'll leave it at that. Um, You have
0: two staff, you have two staff that you birthed, that that's part of their job. That's your rent. 100%, 100%.
2: There is no allowance given for doing chores. You clean because you live here. My parents were pretty chill. I couldn't, you know, I did have times I had to be home. It wasn't just, sure, go, whatever, we don't care. They had to know who, they had to know where, right? They would often drop and pick up. But we were allowed we were allowed to hang out with our friends we were allowed to have parties we were allowed to do those things um, and if anything my mom really liked us to do it at their house at our house um, which now i get right i want to be that house too now that my daughter's almost a teenager once this damn pandemic is over i want to be that house so that they're under my roof and i know what's happening but i'm allowing it too, right with that supervision i think i carried over a lot There's certain things that I find more balance with. I find things like my mom is really into nutrition and which is great, but as a child, I felt deprived of certain things. You know, I try to find balance um, with my children with food as much as it doesn't seem like a big deal. It did seem like a big deal to me because I would often just binge on junk food when I could get my hands on it. And I don't want that for my children. I don't use words like junk food or bad food. We use sometimes food and all the time food just to have a healthy relationship you know, having a preteen daughter, body image is huge. So that's something I'm really cognizant of more in the last few years for myself as well. And as for Lena, as she gets older, and it becomes more relevant, the core values, those are the same, those transcend time and space. Uh, Family is family is family, right? It doesn't matter what your beef is, it doesn't matter what your issue is. It wasn't always roses with me and my parents, there were fights, right? There were angst there was all of it and you know and I tell my children and they know this and I was joking with them because they know I took these notes today and my daughter was like oh are you going to talk about me and I said I probably am yes you're a big part of who I am and I said I'm going to talk about me as a mother and she said well what are you going to say and I said well you know Lena I said mama in a nutshell I am a sweary yelly mom but I love the shit out of you guys and I would do anything for you guys. And that's exactly how I said it to my child. And Aiden was there too. And she looked at me, she goes, yeah, you are. I said, I am, I am. I yell. I yelled at them five minutes before I got on the podcast because they weren't sleeping already. And that's, you know, that's who I am as a mom. I, there are swear words on my coffee mugs. I drop F bombs all day long in front of my children. When I'm angry at them, I tell them what the fuck is your problem? because I don't think I'm going to traumatize them by doing that, that's who I am. But they know, they know that, like I want to consume them, that's how much I love them. I'm always, I'm tactile anyway, but I'm always touching them and hugging them and kissing them to the point where sometimes like, mama, please, please stop. And I'm learning to be respectful of that too, because consent is a big piece, right? Consent is huge, huge. And, you know, when I'm telling them about it, I have to also demonstrate it. And there's certain things that I, I would say, like my dad, you know, do as I say, not as I do, I'm the parent, but not that. So when they do say mama, I'm like, you know what, honey, I'm sorry. May I, may I hug you? May I get a cuddle? May I get a kiss? Um, But again, if I could, I'd just be all over them all the time because I literally just want to choke them and consume them on a daily basis at the same time. Like they really, they are everything that I am. I love hearing you
0: talk about them and they're really lucky because their mom's really fucking cool and fun. And I'm actually recording live from Los Angeles. I'm staying with my mom right now. So I'm in my childhood home at my childhood dining table, AKA my new office. I feel like even now that I'm an adult, being in the same house with her, I'm like, I just want to smuggle her and I want her to hug me and we'll sit on the couch and we'll watch movies and whatever. It's like that, that, my mom says that too. She's like, I don't like everybody, but I'm obsessed with my kids. And I also think it's cool that you're kind of irreverent and that you're not trying to spit into some sort of box of like, well, I don't want to swear. I don't want to do this. It's that your kids are going to get to know you as who you are. Is there a culture or have you experienced at all any like mom shaming?
2: So directly experienced? No. I think if I were to read the shit that's online, not directed at me, um, there's a lot of it. I think one of the only things I can say, and again, this came from social media, because, there, you know, it did exist even when I had Lena, Facebook was a new thing. There were mom groups, and that's kind of where these things started. And I, I am a breastfeeder. Um, I nursed both my children. I nursed them both for about two years apiece. And I'm damn proud of that. Now, there's always that controversy, right? Breast versus bottle. The breastfeeder's like, ugh, the bottle. The bottle feeder's like, fat is best. And it goes on and on and on. I had to remove myself. From those pages and from those conversations. I don't think it was again directly mom shaming me. I remember one time, actually, now now that you said it, see what you started? (laughs) So I was at um, a mall close to us and I was with my husband. And again, I also was a proud breastfeeder. I would only cover up if I felt that that would help my baby because you know what? My tits are my business. And we were in the food court, which I actually thought was a very appropriate place to feed a baby because everybody's going there to eat. I would never, ever breastfeed in nursing rooms because they were always attached to bathrooms and nasty. You go there to change a diaper, right? So just that was not for me. And I remember one time and and Lena was quite young. So I was new still to breastfeeding and I was using a nursing cover because this didn't come to me right away. This took time. I had to build up who I was as a nursing mom. Um, And I was nursing her in the food court, my husband was with me. And I had that cute little cover that I bought that, you know, was all stylish. And there were actually three young girls, teenagers, so not even, you know, not even moms, just teenagers. And I was getting the look, I was like, Oh, and you could, you know, see them. And one of them that was doing that had ice cream. And as she was making her faces at me. And I was trying to be brave and like, nope, I'm completely within my rights to do this. And this is what I'm, you know, I'm fine with it, even though I was kind of feeling a little bit of anxiety. Her ice cream fell off her cone. And I looked right at her and I said, uh-huh, that's what you got. So in terms of my friends, we had a mix of moms. Um, again, initially met on, on Facebook or um, a site called meat.com. I don't know if it even still exists, but that's how I kind of met my first mommy friends the first time around. Um, some of us are still friends 13 years later, which is amazing. We had a mix. We had, you know, vaginal births, C-section moms, nursing moms, uh, bottle fed moms, uh, you know, ones who made all the food fresh ones who fed from a jar. And you know what the bottom line is we were moms with our babies. We wanted to just have companionship. We wanted to talk about our successes. We wanted to talk about our woes. You wanted someone who you could, you know, bounce something off of that. You probably couldn't tell anybody else, or they wouldn't understand. And nobody shamed anybody for anything. So we all had beautiful babies who thank God were healthy and happy. And that's really kind of the bottom line, right? It's just cool because with, and this is just like such the joy of
0: doing this podcast is that like people are so layered. They're so complicated. Everybody's been through such different experiences and is able to share that in a way that's so like relatable. Obviously I have not been through fertility yet. Maybe I will, but I'm like, Oh, I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have known about that or had anybody to talk about that with openly. And so I know that if I'm feeling that, that other people who are listening will also feel that. So thank you so much for all that you've shared. You mentioned, Shauna, that your dad converted to Ismaili um, Islam for, even though he had been raised Zoroastrian or Parsi, as you said, was there a conversation between you and your husband? And we need to learn a little bit more about him as well around what religion your kids were going to be raised in.
2: When I said that my life mirrored my mother's life in many ways. So she got married at approximately 26 to a man who converted to be Smiley Muslim all right so Gary Gary is white interracial marriage biracial children so I met Gary holy shit in 1997 <laughs> whoa um
1: uh, <laughs> you, know, you say it out loud right it's like holy shit it's 2021 <laughs> god it's time for not the pray. fact
0: that you still like somebody that you met that long ago? Very cool. That's very inspiring to my single self, I'll
2: say. Thank you. Um, so I met him frosh week. You know, you're, you're drunk, you're drunk all week. Like if you're not, you're doing it wrong or you go to school in the States so you're still 12 years old when you get to university. But back when I was in high school, we had five years of high school. So we were all 19, which is the legal drinking age in Canada. When we get to university, it's a whole different scene. So there were three tall white guys that we were kind of hanging with all week. There was a Gary, there was a Kevin, and there was, oh my God, I can't remember the last one, a Ryan. Can you get more white than that? A Gary, a Kevin, a Ryan, right? They were all nice guys. Like no one was in it for anything. It was just, we were partying. We're having a good time. I had, you know, whatever friends from high school that were at the same uni and we were just having a great time. I get to poli sci my first week. And I'm sitting with one of the guys. And I'm like, shit, I don't remember which one this is. But we recognize each other. So we'll sit together. I don't know his name. Two weeks goes by. It's too late to ask him his name now. I've passed that point of, whoa, this is awkward. So I bring a a friend to class with me. I'm like, hey, one of the dudes from Frosh is in my class. I don't know his name. Come hang out. Come to my lecture with me. I'm going to pretend I'm rude and forgot to introduce you guys. Can you introduce yourself so I can know which one it is? It was Gary. Okay. Okay. So... (laughs) Yeah, right? Talk about cultural identity. My poor husband, I pigeonholed him as one of the tall white guys who we hung out with during frosh. <laughs> anyway, fast forward, all that. We become really good friends. I've got a boyfriend. He's actually interested in my friend who came to that class. I'm trying to set them up first year because I've got a boyfriend. It's not going well. It's ending horribly. He's hearing all my woes. We become good friends. We get together. Okay. We're together for most of university. We break up for a little bit in between. When we get back together, it's with that intention. He always liked me more, which was good because my parents told me, my dad told me. Rule number one, he needs to like you more than you like him, and he did. And when we got back together, like he knew, he knew marriage, he knew kids. It was me with all these crises of conscience and all this stuff going on. You know, I knew if I said yes to get back together with him near the end of university, it was like, okay, we're doing this like we are in it. So we got back together. He proposed to me after I finished my second degree, my bachelor of education. We did talk about religion. He is on paper. He is a United Christian, non-practicing. Weddings, funerals, not even Easter and Christmas. So, in name only. Went to Sunday school as a kid with his grandparents. That was about it. So we had the conversation again. We'd been together long enough. Similar to my dad, he saw how involved I was in my religion. Um, a big thing about our religion is also the social aspect, the cultural aspect. Being with the people, doing the things, praying is sometimes secondary, not, but it is. So. Anyway, we talked about it and he's like, well, I'm not converting. And, you know, he did the whole, he asked my, my parents, you know, for their approval, their blessing. And they knew going in when they said, yeah, we're cool with you marrying our daughter. They knew he had no intention of converting, but we did have the conversation if, and when we have children, he's like, yeah, cool. They can be brought into the Smiley faith. I will support you. I will drive you for prayers. You know, you don't want to drive and go park, parking sometimes a bitch on like the holy night of Friday. He's like, I will do all that. I have no problem with it, but I'm not converting. All right, cool, cool. My dad, you know, had discussions with him, but nothing pressure, just kind of like, hey, I was pretty much in your shoes. I really was not tied to anything religion. Otherwise, Um, I just kind of thought it would be easier for the cohesiveness of the family. But whatever. Anyway, he did end up converting. So I followed my mom's path in that we joke that it's like, hey, ma, we're two for two. We brought one, you brought one in, I brought one in, right? Like, so he did end up converting uh, before we had children, after we got married, but before we had children. He didn't convert in name only. I think initially, like my dad, he converted, you know, to make it easy. Our Jamaat Khanna uh, for prayers, for worship does not allow non esmailis in. I've been to Catholic Mass on Christmas, but you can't come and uh, pray with us you can come for weddings and funerals but that's it it did actually make it really nice he you know he learned the arabic prayer the dua he actually has helped teach our children so there's been a lot of a lot of benefit of that he you know he understands the faith more is he religious no am i sometimes you know and it's interesting because my dad blended right in right my dad uh looks the part if you will like there are Ari smiley's you know all over the world, but for parts of North America, especially where we are, they're very much the Ismailis who are like the Indian. They, they speak Gujarati or they speak Kachi. They come from India or Pakistan um, or East Africa, but of Indian origin. So my dad never stuck out. His name is Sharuk. It's a Muslim name for goodness sake, right? So most of my friends, unless they really were like old friends, that they don't even know when I tell them, they're like, your dad's a converti. I'm like, yeah, but he speaks the language, but he, I'm like, he looks the part where Gary, clearly doesn't look the part. You know, he used to get questions sometimes in the beginning until people got to know him. He doesn't look the part, but he is the part.
1: I've obviously known Gary for a very long time. You said 97. So he's been a part of our life forever. So I want to get to that. But I also want to ask, since we're talking about conversion and marriage, what was it like bringing Gary, one, into a family that's very, very close? I talk about it all the time, how like I met Gary at such a young age. He's been a part of my life for most of my life. Like I remember I would come on your dates with you guys. Like poor you guys I had to like babysit a child, but whatever. Uh, but I always talk about like with Aiden and Lena and Leo, unless I'm literally going to marry someone, I'm not going to be like, hey, come to Toronto to see my, like it's it's very different because we would come to you and I'd spend the summer with you. So one, what was it like introducing him to the family? But two also, and not from your parents, but from when he first converted and he came to Conet, things like that. Did you guys feel that people were judgy? So,
2: yeah. So Gary has been around forever. ever um, quick side anecdote, but I was at a party with really good friends before all this. And we usually, you know, we were really tight and you grow up and we always have the annual summer bash. So, um, and we're all of all races and all mixed marriages. And it's just this beautiful hodgepodge of beautiful people that we get to get together with and our good friends and um my girlfriend is west indian but again if we're just looking she's brown i'm brown right okay she is now engaged but she had brought this boy to the party for the first time we're like who is this and he's a white guy and he was lovely and we loved him and you know the night goes on we're drinking we're whatever verbal diarrhea and the two of us were talking and i said oh Catherine, i am so happy it's so nice i we have another brown white couple and 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 she looked at me all seriousness, and she's like, "Who's the other brown white couple?" And I said, "Me and Gary." And she goes, "Oh my God, I always forget he's white, <laughs> right? Just because he's just he just kind of like he he fits in. He just kind of goes with the flow and melds right in. So yeah, into the family. Um, so I I dated I dated a lot of smiley guys." Um, because it's what I knew. It's what was there. Uh, You know, when you're younger and you're dating, you do it in that friend circle so that you're hanging out with your friends and you're, you know, you're not stressing your parents out too much. And so we dated within our friend circle. I had a few serious relationships with these smiley guys. Clearly none of them worked out and I didn't really ever have a type except tall. Like tall is kind of my type. So then I met Gary and, you know, he started coming around and I was of that age where, again, like I said, my parents weren't strict. They were stricter than my my white friends' parents, uh, but they weren't as strict as the other Indian parents. By the time I met Gary and we were dating, I was old enough, right? I was 20 years old. I was an adult. Um, and my parents treated me as such. I lived at home for university. So that's kind of key to, you know, my, my parents' relationship with Gary as well. I went to a university campus very close to my home. So um, they bought me a car instead and that worked great for me because, I like home. I'm not stupid. Laundry, food, love, right? He worked during university. I was very lucky that I did not have to. So he would come over, you know, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock after working, he worked retail and, you know, he'd bring his dinner, we'd hang out, we'd watch TV, whatever. My parents would hang out probably around the one year mark. And again, with maybe not all Indian parents, but with my Indian parents, it's a don't ask, don't tell mentality, right? From the get go, like whatever it is, any of the big ticket things, um, that, oh, as an aside, that I actually do differently with my children, we talk about all the things. Um, I want that relationship where it's like, no, there's nothing you can't tell me. There's nothing that will shock me. I will answer it all and we will go with it. So, you know, we didn't really delve into boyfriends. He was there. They knew he was my boyfriend. And um, That's just what it was. And about the year mark, I think we've been together for a year. And my mom, I still remember this conversation because I didn't have these conversations. So it was my first one at like 20 some odd. So you really like this boy, huh? Yeah, I think I do. Right. It's been a year. Um, Okay. Then we want to meet his parents. Holy shit. This has never happened. This is like next level, right? This is really, this is my white friends and their parents, right? Having barbecues with each other. Oh no, not in an ethnic household. Are you kidding me?
0: So you're right. White people do stuff different for sure. (laughs) So what happened? Did you guys have a barbecue?
2: No, Yara was 13 at our wedding, by the way. So when she's talking about her whole life, 13 at our wedding, forget the dating. As a parent now, I'm thinking it's not because of anything except for the fact that I was in my twenties and saying, I liked this guy very different than 16. Right. So I said, all right, Right. And I I don't remember how we organized it all. No, we went for dinner. Um, we went to a restaurant that is no longer around, the six of us. And all I really remember is that it was not awkward. We were all adults at this table, right? We all had drinks. It wasn't like, oh my God, okay, we're with our parents. Like it was, um, and of course, the underlying intention was, you know, my mom wanted to suss out like if my daughter's serious about this guy, if something's going to happen, I want to know who the people are who are going to be the other parents to my daughter, right? Like I get that now. In terms of Yara, you're asking about bringing Gary into our family. My brother and I only really grew up in Toronto where my grandparents lived. And the other three cousins, Yara, her sister Sophia and our cousin Sabrina all were in Atlanta. So we were around my grandparents much more, right? Like I spent weekends sleepovers with my grandma's. Meeting the family, bringing into the family means the grandparents. Cause he'd already met my parents. He hung out at my house all the time. He would come to Memei's house. Memei is what we called my grandmother. Um, he would come to Mame's house all the time. And this is even before we were married. And you know what? She kind of loved it because she's like, oh, yeah, there's a tall guy. He can fix my, my lights. Memei loved Gary. You know, she would make him garam garam rotli. So that's the warm, warm rotli or the, right, the chapati bread. And she would make that and she would give us jobs to do. And it would sometimes be fixing, you know, she had those long, those fluorescent tube lights in her kitchen at that time. It, he would fix that uh, the two of us stripped down the wallpaper in her old bathroom and repainted it over a couple of weekends. Again, Gary assimilates really well. You think, okay, I'm bringing a white guy into an Indian family. How's that going to go? I'm bringing a non-Muslim into a Muslim family. How's that going to go? You know what? It would have been a hell of a lot worse if it was another brown guy, but not a Muslim. Right? So there's more conflicting things going on there. So just cause you see Brown and Brown doesn't mean it's going to work. So bringing Gary in again, he was just, he's good people and we're good people, I think. And he was happy to eat what Mamie was cooking and he was happy to switch a light bulb. And he treated me well and respected me and loved me. And I think that that was enough.
1: I want to quickly go back to one thing that you said that I really appreciate. You were talking about how there could be, there could have been more tension if Gary had been brown, but not Muslim. And that's something like I've thought about a lot because I've had a lot of conversations about like, you know, not that I date a lot of people, but um, like why typically what I go to would not be an Indian guy. And I think it's because, especially being a smiley, and that's another thing. Thank you for, I, I don't talk about my religion much or my culture much, but hearing you do it just so openly kind of just gives me like a, an easier way to do it. So thank you for that. But often I think the shared values is the most important part because just because you're the same skin color as someone doesn't necessarily mean you grew up the same way. And looking at why, why you're with someone is often off of that common shared experience and like the, the, the same values you share or the same types of people you love or like what you want for your life. Um, so I'm glad you said that because I, 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 I often can't figure out a way to articulate it. So I'm glad you did. On this podcast, we've had some older siblings, some younger siblings, and I don't know where some of the older siblings stand in like the family hierarchy, but you're not only um, an older uh, sibling to a younger brother, but you have been the older sibling for all of us cousins. So can you talk a little bit about that, just that experience? I think it
2: is kind of like the way I parent. I'm sweary. I'm yelly. I love the shit out of all of you. Yara and her sister Sophia are significantly younger than I am. Um, Sophia is nine years younger than me. And Yara, as the other end of the bookends, is 11 years younger than me. So she's, she has a, you have a special place in my heart. You really do. And I think it's, again, because you are the baby, Um And I think for many years, Yara, I saw you as the baby because, again, right? Like you said, I was dating the person that I was going to marry. So I was in my last relationship and you would come with us, you know? And I remember um, the bowling specifically because it was in this dingy old mall and you had to go down the stairs, right? To go to the bowling alley. And I don't know what we were doing. We were joking around and Gary was picking you up and running with you because you were so young that that was not inappropriate. Do you know what I mean? Like he's picking up my cousin, but she was so little. I don't, I don't think I have like an inherent responsibility towards any of you, uh, even with the age gap. Um, I think what I like is, again, especially with you and I, um, because it took a little bit longer. Our personalities are very different. Our outward personalities are very different. But like you said, as we've both gotten older, we realize more that inside uh, we are very similar. I think the relationship that we've cultivated over the last few years, and yes, especially during this pandemic, the the conversations we've had, the one specifically where we didn't even realize that it was four o'clock in the morning. In a cousin conversation that started at like nine with all of us, we are family because we have to be, but we choose to be friends. You know, I have one brother, but my children have multiple aunts you know the way that Yara and Sophia and our cousin Sabrina the love that you give to my children it circles back to that that my children are my everything fills my heart that I know that they have so many people that they can go to I love our cousin Jam.
1: I love that answer you talked about how you had dated some smiley guys in the past and how it was a part of your culture so I will I don't really care about those guys no offense to them but what I want to know about is like what was your experience growing up uh, in the Ismaili culture? Because I truly think growing up as a Canadian Ismaili was a little bit different than what it was like for me to grow up in Atlanta as an Ismaili because Kane was further away from me. I went maybe on, I mean, I went Fridays. uh, Let us know what Kane is. Oh, okay. So Kane is what we call our prayers. Jamath Kana is um, our prayer center. And so Atlanta didn't have as many, and they were further away from where I grew up. Um, but I always felt like when I would ever go to Toronto, like every single neighborhood had their own kane. And so I, I just feel like our experiences may have been a little bit different because I had some smiley friends, but I could probably count them on one hand. And I didn't go often, and it was never something like I felt close to in Atlanta. For me, a lot of what I felt close to with being a smiley is in Toronto. So I would love to just hear um, how you balanced any school friendships, any school activities with going to Kane on most Fridays. And also just what that was like having religion as like a pretty big part of childhood.
2: So I was born here. I was born um, in a suburb of Toronto. And then we moved to Michigan. Um, we had family businesses, like the entire family with. Was- my grandfather, Yara's dad, my parents. And that moved my parents to Michigan where my brother was actually born. So I went to school there um, till grade three, grade one, grade two, grade three in the States and Michigan and then in Ohio. And we did move back to Toronto. And one of the big reasons, at least that I've been told, was again, that missing piece. Very small Ismaili population in both those places. So our Jamath Khanna was a temporary location um, and only open on the weekends. So uh, Morgan, to give you and our non smiley listeners some backstory. So Jamaat Khanna is technically somewhere you can go for worship, for prayers, seven days a week, both morning and evening. Uh, meditation in the morning at four in the morning. And it's like it's actual scheduled prayers, not just show up and, you know, contemplate. And then every evening as well. Now, being in the States and with a small Jamaat, so limited community, limited congregation. And because my parents both, especially my mom, after leaving home after leaving Tanzania it was just Toronto um, she knew what the community in Toronto was she knew how large the Smiley community was this is where my parents were married this is where there were just many people and you know they had me and now they had my brother and that became an important part for them because they knew we were missing out on that that was not a part of our lives um, so we did come back to Toronto and I think aside from religion um, I think coming back to Toronto is actually one of the best things that my parents did for us uh, for many reasons, um, most to do with just diversity and and community. My parents were and are very active members in the congregation in the Jamaat Khanna. They've, uh, you know, they've been faith based leaders multiple times, uh, where they're leading congregation uh, for specific services. Um, volunteerism is huge in our community, uh, not just for the Ismaili community but for the community we live in at large. So coming back to Toronto. Uh, Yeah, we actually did go to Jamath Khanna that initially was only open on the weekends till it received a permanent location, because a lot of our locations, we'd rent out like a high school, right? So we'd have a congregation, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday night, all the volunteers are wrapping it up, rolling up carpets, moving benches, right? And we wash, rinse, repeat on the Friday. So yeah, so growing up like that kind of grade, we moved back in grade three. So like that grade three, till probably sometime in high school. I would say. And that's kind of then where I kind of went in my own path in terms of my social life, and I kind of branched away. But for that big chunk, yeah, Jamat Kana every Friday, for sure, Saturday. So we have religion classes, religious education, which my, my children still do. And you know, are, when you asked me about like balancing, obviously, when I was younger, it really didn't matter. But again, as I got older, because I was so entrenched in it, my friends, the majority of the friends I socialized with were actually my Kane friends, my Jamaat Kana friends, and my school friends were just I socialized, you know, between 830 and 330. And those two cousins that I mentioned, um, so they're they are two years older than I am. They're my second cousins. They are first cousins to each other. We'd met a couple times prior to me moving back. And then when we moved back, they instantly embraced me. I instantly had um, an entire friend set at my disposal. Uh, what was kind of cool is they were all two years older than me, right? That's really cool when you're a certain age, right? So the my friends that I hung out with pretty much for that entirety were their friends that then became my friends. We all were at Connie every Friday and every Saturday. So the social part was not an issue. As we got older, again, it was still easy to navigate the social life. Um, You know, like I said, with the dating, uh, you dated in that friend circle, right? So you had the group of friends and you kind of just swapped around and it was so normal, right? Like kind of seems a little bit sister wifey now, but as kids, like that's all you have, right? You can't go elsewhere and tell your mom, I have a boyfriend. I met him at the mall. So I know how you don't, right? So, but if I was going to Jamatkana Khanna and... You know, so-and-so auntie's son was my boyfriend. That was all right. And if we went anywhere, the dates were group dates, right? We're all going to a Blue Jay game. We're all going downtown to go to the mall or go for dinner. And, you know, what you did when you were in those groups, again, don't ask, don't tell. In terms of, you know, the Smiley experience growing up like you're as you asked, is it an Smiley kid in, in Toronto? Because there's so many people of the faith... And you know, you do, you develop these great friend sets. And so you're all doing the same thing, right? So you're all volunteering together. So it's not just like, oh, you're volunteering. What a loser. We're going out to party. No, y'all are volunteering. So you do it together, you do these events together, right? Um, Whatever the events were, like we are very lucky in our community that there are so many community events. There, uh, you know, there are sports events. So if you're into sports, and even if you are not, I'm I don't play sports, but I'm down to watch cute boys play them, right? Especially at that age, like I was a boy crazy teen, so this was great for me. Yeah, mom, I'm going to the basketball, whatever, which I was. I wasn't lying about that, but it was just to sit and watch boys and talk to boys, right? We had variety shows, like we have celebrations for you know key events, and we would do dances. So we'd have our group of friends and you know you would practice for months. So you'd practice on Saturday at so-and-so's house and you'd order pizza, then you'd hang out, then you'd practice, and then you'd get to go do these shows. Yes, a talent show exactly on stage. And and I love to dance. And so you know we got that aspect too. So I look back on it a little bit with nostalgia because I did leave it, like I said. My brother stayed with it a bit more. Now my brother didn't actually do all that hokey stuff that I did, like the variety shows and the volunteering. But he has a very tight group of many friends, but he still has many smiley friends. Ironic, because I'm probably go to prayers more than him. But you know, he's kept that part of the community. I have not lost all my smiley friends, but we did kind of go our separate ways. So I live in a suburb now, um, outside of Toronto, I live in a place called Whitby. And the Connie that I would go to now, if it were open, um, I reconnected funny enough with friends I kind of knew. They were periphery friends though. They weren't my tight friends, but they were people I knew back in the day. Um, And you know, as people do, depending on where they are, certain suburbs, you kind of naturally move to, you go east if you live here, you go west or north if you live there. And we all kind of ended up in the same area and we all have children now. So I've reconnected with a group of East Smiley. We're now parents, but what's great about that is that, so I've rebuilt my ties with people of the same faith, you know, that we can carry it on in that way for our our children.
1: That's one thing, the pandemic that I didn't realize I would miss is going to kind like, you know, um, I will say our community's done a good job of doing it over Zoom and all of that. And a lot of times for our biggest occasions, my parents, my sister, will all go to Toronto for it and we'll all be together. And I mean, Going to college and like moving away from family and also this pandemic, one thing I never even thought about missing was the religious experience of having family around. Like, Sophia and I have talked about about like, you know, if we were to have kids, how could we create that similar experience of like going to prayers, seeing the, um, the older people there who may not be your grandparents, but are like your grandparents and like aunts and uncles who aren't really your aunts and uncles. And it's, it is a great community aspect that I wish I could recreate here. Something you mentioned earlier was that you said that when people see you, they may
0: not necessarily know what your background is. And you of course have a very hodgepodge background, as you mentioned. So I want to hear a little bit more about that. Ladies and gentlemen, she is looking at her notes. This woman is prepared. She said she was an educator. She was ready to go.
2: Definitely on first glance, there's not many people who guess correctly what I am. If we're playing the what are you game, right? Such a loaded question. And I don't often get Indian either. Because again, the last name, right? The last name is uh, an Iranian last name. And said with, you know, a harder T, I'm Italian. It's falsettia. What I do want to talk about, though, uh, that kind of answers your question, maybe not really. Okay. Um, And yes, I am looking at my notes, because there's a lot, you know, I will say one thing. So I have listened to every one of your episodes. So when I told you I was really nervous in the beginning, the secret about me is I'm outgoing and who I who you see is somebody who potentially you see as outgoing and confident and sure of themselves. And I am usually none of those things. I actually struggle a lot with knowing that I'm um, not worthy. I know I'm worthy. Like I have confidence in my value. Um, I struggle with, you know, Am I smart enough? Do I speak articulately enough? One thing I know about me is I'm really bad at remembering all the key phrases and acronyms because, and I think it's part of my personality, to me, it's all the bullshit. Like, I know what's up. I know what I need to do. And I can't give you all the flowery stuff. Like, it's just not who I am. Um, But I struggle then when I'm doing something like this. And the reason I put the notes down is because I said, you know, I need to dig deep. The thing I respect the most about this podcast and even my conversation with Yara is that they're not surface conversations. You know, they don't all have to be based in, you know, big things or trauma or fear, but they're not shallow conversations, even like, you know, what makes me a mom. They're not shallow. I had to dig deep, not just like, oh, I love my kids. They're the best thing that happened to me. Motherhood's great. Like those answers are not going to suffice on this podcast and I don't want them to. So the reason for the notes was, you know, I got to go back. I, I need to because right now I'm living in the here and now, like right now my mantra is one fucking day at a time. And so I needed to dig back and stop and think, and then I get nervous. Oh, I'm going to forget stuff. I'm going to forget the things I want to say. I'm not going to do this right. I'm not going to say it right. And that's where my fear comes from. And that's why I make the notes.
0: I just want to stop you there and say that you are so brilliant And even having this conversation, it's so fascinating to hear that there are so many women who are brilliant, beautiful, smart, great mom, great job, great marriage that don't have, that don't see in themselves what others see when they meet them. And you and I met at the live show very briefly and I was like, oh, she's the bomb and she's super cool and confident and whatever. But I'm like, it just it boggles my mind almost to hear and I know that we all are so complicated and we all have those things going on, but just to hear you say that about yourself. You're fucking brilliant, you're so smart. This has been such an awesome conversation. And so, obviously, I can't wait to hear the rest of your answer, but I just wanted to interject and say that. You did take notes and were so like Diligent around knowing what you wanted to say, to say it in an effective way. Like that's another,
1: that just shows how smart you are. Thank you so much for all of your answers because I've absolutely loved it.
2: Thank you, both of you. So, where that stems from, though, right, is that the whole, am I enough? Whether it's emotionally, intellectually, physically, am I enough? And when I was doing that introspection and I was thinking, you know, I kind of went back and I'm like, you know, when you're a child, right? You don't necessarily understand the way you're feeling. It's there, it's there in your subconscious, but you don't have words to put to it. And then as you grow up, and if you do look back, and you know, even the way that just the fabric of the land has changed so much, it gives you the words you needed, it gives you the examples and vocabulary. So that's what I really tried to do when I was looking back um, on my life. And and I know cultural identity is such a huge part of this podcast. And I'm going to take you back to grade one. So grade one, I was in the States. Not to say the States is not diverse. uh, Not all parts are, but not all parts of Canada are either. Like I am not by no means saying Canada is better. Canada has issues. Let me tell you. I knew, I knew I looked different from the get-go. Now, was I ever bullied at that? No, I wasn't. There was no one who made me feel different, but I was aware. I had a group of friends in grade one. I went to a Catholic school. Okay, so now you have Indian Muslim girl in a Catholic school. My friends are all blonde. They're all blue eyed. They're tiny little things. Um, And I knew this, I was aware of it. No one made me feel bad about it. They were lovely people. I remember feeling, yeah, I have friends. I'm not skinny. I never have been. So there was that too. I didn't, even at a young age, I was a little thicker. And then my voice. My voice is something I hated for a very long time. I've got a raspy voice. It's a little bit deeper. But I had this voice from the get go. And I still remember as a child, the first time, the first time I heard my voice, right? Because you know how we don't sound to ourselves, how we do for others. Well, the first time you figure that out is like, right, explosion. And I heard it because I'd recorded something and I wanted to die. I hated it. Oh my God, I sound like a boy. Oh my God, I've got this disgusting voice. So right from the get go, my hair, right? I had that wicked bowl cut, thick, thick hair. Hair. So, when I said moving back to Toronto was one of the best things that my parents could have done for me, it was because all of a sudden, I grew up in a suburb called Scarborough, I was no longer any sort of minority, right? The joke is that if you're white, you're the minority in Scarborough. So, you know, we come back here and it's like, oh, all bases and races and colors and foods and smells. And this is great. Even if there wasn't someone exactly like me, there was really no one exactly like anyone. I think that even at that age, And even with all the diversity, I think going through most of my schooling moving forward, there was this underlying feeling or this knowledge that being white was still better. And I still remember clearly grade five and six and the people I wanted to be friends with, you know, it was the white girls because the other girl who was Pakistani, you know, wasn't allowed to wear shorts to school and was a little bit chubby too and was kind of nerdy and uh, I don't want to be associated with her. Now, did I identify it at the time that I wanted to hang out with the white kids because they were cooler? No, I just knew they were cooler and I wanted to hang out with them. So it was about being cool. I think that that continued into junior high, into grade seven, a little bit less into grade eight because my school switched again right into my direct neighborhood. So again, that whole diversity pocket and everybody was just cool, didn't matter. Black, white, Indian, didn't matter. We were all just either cool or not. Getting into high school, I think, is where that kind of changed. I think, you know, everyone's coming into their own in high school, right? You're trying to figure out who you are. Um, you're challenging norms, right? As is the teenage thing to do, whether it's, you know, getting things pierced or tattoos or booze or whatever, but you are pushing those boundaries and you're all kind of doing it together, right? Which gives you that unified group. Uh, high school's a very cliquey place too, I think. I don't know about everyone's high school. I had friends in all those pockets. I also later in high school became friends with people who were discovering their sexual identity and they hung out together, right? You know, friends who came out as being lesbian or being gay exploring that and I became good friends with them because they were kind of seen as the misfits and like I loved hanging out with them because I had a place there my core group of girlfriends for the first couple years what I kind of laughed about thinking about today is so we were a very diverse group there's five of us and we had a nickname for ourselves and I'm going to tell you and it's like so ridiculous now but so we were KCP cubed and that stood for wait for it Korean chink peach packy posse we dubbed ourselves Nobody came and put that shit on us, right? Because we had a Korean girl, a Chinese girl, the peach were the two whiteies, and me, not a Paki, not from Pakistan, but we thought it was hella cool. That was our little group's name because, hey, look at how diverse we are. So we gave ourselves a really great name that actually totally put us down so hard, but we, you know, we were like 14, 15. As I moved through these groups, And even into university, where the people I met in university are are people who are still in my life almost 20 years later. Who am I? I am not brown enough. I'm not Indian enough to be Indian. But I'm not white. I'm not white enough to be white. So it doesn't really matter anymore. Where I am in my life, it really doesn't matter how white or brown or not I am. But going through, you know, junior high, high school, even university, that was a struggle for me. And that comes back to that whole being nervous. And am I enough? Because I never was.
0: It's crazy because society is trying to tell us that we're not enough. And they tell us that constantly. They tell us who is enough. And that's Cindy Crawford and that's Haley Bieber. And that's all these white girls and that we're supposed to look like them when there was no world in which we ever could. I feel hopeful (laughs) that your kids are growing up in a place that when they watch TV, even like the stuff that they see. And of course, white supremacy is going to die really. It's going to it's not going to go down easy. Like it's going to go down super, super hardcore swinging as we can see it happening right now. But I'm hopeful that just that what your daughter and what your son get to watch on TV, what they get to see is going to be a little bit more representative of the fact that so many of us are all mixed up and we're all multiple different races and have different experiences. So that we don't just watch, like my favorite movie when I was growing up was Clueless. And you watch that movie and you're like, okay, well, I'm black. So I'd be JC Dash, who's gorgeous, but she wasn't the main character. And like I knew that. <laughs> so then what does that mean about me if if I don't get I want to
2: be Cher Horowitz? And I think too, you know, again, being Indian, like we struggle a lot with shadism, right? Me being fair was always a good thing. Right? I remember the the year I was getting married in August. So the whole summer was there. And I was told very clearly, stay out of the sun. You do not need to be getting dark before your wedding. Everybody who is white, all they want to do is get dark. So the contrast to the dress, like, what do you mean don't go out in the sun, right? But it was stay fair.
1: Because I've been thinking about that a lot lately. And the impact that colonialism has had on, on race and racial identity and how we absorb race and everything you were saying about like, Am I enough? Um, Because I've often felt the same way because growing up in Atlanta, it was like, there are white people, there are black people, there are some Indian people. And for obviously I was not, I'm not white, I'm not black. And similarly, like when you tell people your family is from East Africa, they're like, oh, wait, what? Our grandparents all lived in colonial um, Africa, colonial India. And so it's just ingrained, whether it comes through colorism, whether it comes through what we see in like Indian movies. I kind of wish we had talked to our grandparents about what it was like to grow up in the British empire. One more question I do have, Morgan kind of touched on it when she was talking about like what Aiden and Lena see on TV. So how have you approached race with Aiden and Lena? Because they are mixed, but they're very fair. And we're also living in a world right now where talking to your kids about race is important, but also difficult to do because you don't want to scar them, but you want to make them aware. So can you tell us a little bit about how, one, you've talked to them about their biracial identity, but also how you've talked to them about the broader um, scope of what's going on?
2: In terms of their biracialness, um, and I don't know if it's because it's not a stark contrast right? Between their two parents. My kids kind of look like me. They're a little fairer. To me, to me, they don't look Caucasian. So in terms of their racial identity, to be honest, we haven't had big conversations around it. So our families are one unit. I'm one of those weird phenomenons who loves her mother-in-law. They are mom and dad to me. My parents are mom and dad to Gary. So There's never been like an us and a them or a daddy's family and mommy's family. So I don't know if that's why it hasn't come up. Like my kids are clearly aware that one side of their family is Brown and one is white for many things in parenting. I'm of the, if they have the question, I will make sure I provide answers and discussion for other things like race As a general or racism or what is happening in the world, it's we are talking about this because it's relevant. But in terms of just them and their racial identity, we haven't had the big discussions unless things come up. It's usually my little one. He is definitely of the, I wanna know everything. I always have questions. My mind is going a mile a minute and the rest of me can't keep up. Like that's him. He is my mother um, in little boy form. Their names are also the same, Natty and Aiden. So their names are reversed. So, you know, Aiden has asked before, like if we go to Jamaat Khan, like when he was younger, well, how come Nua and Pa don't come? Right. And that's my, what he calls my husband's parents. And so we've talked about, oh, they're naughty, smiley, and we're smiley. So those kind of conversations come up where it's like the, well, how come Nua and Pa can eat pork, but we don't eat pork? And so again, then it's those conversations of the differences as they come up organically. Uh, they know what they are, you know, when, when you have those little Who Am I collages that you do at school, um, especially older one, because now she's had a few of them over the years. And she has, and happily, she has drawn the Indian flag, the flag of Tanzania, the Canadian flag, the British flag, and the Irish flag. And she will, and she'll, this is who I am, because Gary is English-Irish, if we go back to where his white comes from. They're aware, they know that they are from all those places genetically, and they know enough about the food and the culture and things like that. Um, So that's where we are there. If more things come up, obviously, as they get older, uh, where we live is not nearly as diverse as where I grew up. Um, It's not not diverse, but it does sometimes get the nickname white bee instead of Whitby. Her group of friends, you know, again, just by default is is predominantly white. Um, her best friend is biracial, black and white, uh, you know, which I secretly love, right? I'm like, okay, great. Like, y'all found each other. But again, they don't seem to focus on those things yet. Right now, it's about commonality. They're both two of the sweetest, kindest, most empathetic, lovely girls that you'd ever meet. So they just jive. Now, in terms of the world that we are in right now, not that it hasn't always been there, but is now at the forefront, uh, you know, in terms of being at home with the news on during a pandemic 24 seven. And you know, I do protect them. They are children, I do protect them from certain things but at the same token, I need them to see that this is the bullshit fuckery that goes on in our world and it's not okay, it is not okay. We had things on, we had the riots happening uh, with George Floyd and I explained to my daughter, I said, people are fucking angry. And every one of those people doing these things has a right to be doing this right now because they are so bloody angry. You know, you can only get pushed so far as a human by other humans when you say enough's enough. So there's certain things, uh, you know, would I have shown a video of the entire proceedings of, you know, Mr. Floyd leaving with it? No, because she's still, she's 12 and there's a certain innocence there. She knows what happened. Um, but there's certain things that I need to protect her from at this point because she's a child. But we don't, you know, we don't sugarcoat it. We have the conversations, even with the seven-year-old. And, you know, it's base with a seven-year-old, right? We talk about, you know, what is racism? We talk about how it's bullshit and how you don't do that. Before I have talked about and I have, you know, kind of said, like, your mom's not white. Like, I'm not white, just so we're clear. So I'm also a person of color, which means that at some point, someone could treat me a certain way just because I'm not white. The, the conversations are happening, they happen in my house, they happen in my classroom, you know, I'm a teacher, um, so I teach special needs. So in my mind, there's no child that can't be given a message at their level, right? Like, I could say, meh, it's okay, they won't understand anyway, but no, right? So even at that level, so my students who all have intellectual disabilities, they are, uh, you know, anywhere cognitively from like kindergarten to grade one, but they are in the bodies of 10, 11 and 12 year olds. Uh, some of them cannot write their name or know the alphabet. So this is where we are. Even my students get it. So of course we should have the conversations because if students who, you know, struggle with the letters of the alphabet understand that treating somebody differently because they're Black, especially, or any color, but Black, right, is not right. We just, you know, finished our Black History Month learning where it's a little bit more focused. And we went through, you know, we learned about Rosa Parks and Again, I kept it very simple, Uh, but we read stories and, you know, we just talked about how brave, how brave they were. And, and some of the big ideas that even my students got out of it, they, it just brought me to tears in the sense that they got it. They're like, these people were brave and it's not fair to be mean to someone because they're black. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly all you need to know. You do not have to get any deeper than that. It's that people stood up, they fought for their rights and like, don't be a dick Right? Don't treat people bad because they're Black. You don't have to know anything more than that. You really, really, really don't.
0: Shauna, this conversation has been so great. It's been so amazing getting to know you better, hearing about your journey as a mom, as a wife, as an educator, and just as a person in this world. And so I'm so glad that I've gotten to spend more time with you and to get to know you. So thank you again for being on the podcast. This is so awesome. And of course, we can't finish without ending with our two favorite topics, which are joy and zaddies. So first question for you, what is bringing you joy right now?
2: During this whole pandemic, um, I have not been stuck in my house, right? Which maybe isn't a good thing, but I do have to go to work. I am out there in the trenches. Um, We've had moments where we've taught from home, but we've mostly been at work, but from the beginning of this pandemic, I've gone through all the stages. I became a plant mom, like I did all that shit, right? But what brings me joy on a regular basis is either Friday or Saturday night, depending. Uh, we will order from a local restaurant and we will watch a movie, just the four of us. Or if my husband's working, he he is uh, an emergency medical dispatcher for nine one one, so he works shifts. Um, then it's with the kids. But that really brings me joy. Even though we're together all the time, it's just something we do. We're, you know, big Marvel family. So uh, that's fun. WandaVision is rocking our world right now. So that is one thing. Uh, something Yara and I have in common. And yeah, as weirdo as we are, we do send each other pictures, but just, you know, from the knees down is we love, <laughs> we love our bubble baths. So whenever one of us is in a bath, we take that, you know, here's my wine, here's my toes, and here's my bubbles. And we send each other a picture. Uh, So that brings me joy. So shopping has brought me joy, but with a specific focus. So really during this pandemic, and the way that I've seen like local businesses struggling I am in a unionized job. I have my job. I get my paycheck every two weeks. So does my husband, right? We are fortunate as fuck right now because people are losing everything. So with the shopping, I've fully intentionally started supporting small local businesses, a lot of makers. Um, I know one of your good friends is a maker. Um, And, you know, it started with the plants, sweatshirts it's stuff I want I'm not just buying for you know but I'm making a focused and intentional to try to support those businesses so that they are here after the pandemic so that's bringing me joy to be able to give back in a way right through supporting them and I end up with some cute swag so I'm happy and one more thing is working out um I found I found my strong probably about three years ago um I struggle with weight part of it's hormonal part of it's not taking care of myself. When I started, I lost fifty pounds. Unfortunately, during the pandemic and during some issues with my family, um, I gained most of it back. But I'm finding my strong again. We've built a basement gym, and I'm making sure I carve the time out for me—an hour, four to five days a week—and back on my nutrition. And it really, really makes all the difference to bring me joy and to be able to get through, to be able to do that one fucking day at a time thing, to just know that I have that hour for just me with my inappropriate sweary music in the basement um, and my weights and my water. So, yeah.
0: That's awesome, Shauna. Thanks for sharing those. I might have to, I'm also a bath girl. I'm another bath gal. So I might have to get on the text chain. (laughs) with
1: the bubble bath and the tears of wine. Yes. Shauna, as a listener of the podcast, you know what's next. Um, if we have any new listeners, because I'm hoping there are some new ones here, Morgan and I bonded early on, on what, on the term zaddy. I didn't know what a zaddy was and Morgan had to explain it to me. And I think a zaddy can be really anything you want. So Shauna, first of all, define what a zaddy means to you. And then share who your zaddy is.
2: So being of a certain vintage age, I had no fucking clue. <laughs> so when I first, I'm like, okay, yeah, I was, you know, following you guys on Instagram. I'm like, because hey, I don't know. So I did Google it, right? Because Google knows everything. And I was like, okay, all right. So now, again, I'm 42. I feel like I might thus far be one of your oldest guests, which doesn't mean I'm old. It just means that, you know, the part of the Zaddy where it's like somebody older than you. Okay, cool, cool. However, I'm not into 60 year olds. I'm not there yet in my life. I'm just, I'm not. What I do agree with what I've heard over, you know, the iterations of people identifying and defining what a Zaddy is, is that a Zaddy does not need to have a gender, right? Whoever rocks your socks off doesn't, it doesn't matter. So Azadi can be whomever. I do think that Azadi needs to be attractive to you, physically attractive, but then I think also mentally attractive. Also on a superficial level, Azadi has to be someone you want to do things with and to. Like Not every zaddy. That's like my sub definition, right? Yara's dying because she knows that her dad will potentially listen to this episode because it's mine. And I know my mom will, but I'm okay with that. If we're going with a superficial version, right? The zaddy is the person that you're going to have that crazy, crazy dream about lying beside your husband. Okay. You're going to have that dream. You're going to wake up in the morning and you're not even going to feel guilty. Oh no, you're not. You're going to wake up smiling and be like, yes, I did. Then picking a zaddy was really hard for me, okay? So I narrowed it down to two because I feel like the eight on my list are too many. Now, over the course of your podcast, though, you guys have fucked me over so many times because you've taken, like, Patrick Dempsey is not going to be one of mine because he's been said so many times, but realize that I'm from the camp by me love. Like, I just, ugh, all the things, like, and, and all the way through to Grays. But I'm not going to pick him. My first one is actually younger than me, and I didn't actually know that till I... I uh, did some more research on him um, and he kind of fits that first description where he is very attractive, but who he is and what he stands for. Like it tingles my brain. It plays with my heart. Um, Justin Baldoni. Y'all know who he is? Yeah. He, from
1: Jane the Virgin. Virgin. Yes. Yeah. So
2: that's where I first saw him and fell in love with his looks, Raphael. So that's, I fell in love with him for the physical because he's hoty hot, hot. And then from Jane the Virgin, I started to follow him on Instagram. And I started to learn about who he is as a human being. And he started this project called Man Enough. And I think both of you would really love it if you kind of looked it up later. And basically, he undefines masculinity. And he started off with like a web series about male privilege, right, in the whole age of Me Too. So he started this a few years ago. Um, And it evolved. And there's a book. And he's basically, he challenges men to be brave, to be vulnerable. And I adore that, right? He's breaking down all that toxic masculinity shit. The daddy of the week who I would jump his bones, but in his specific role is Gabriel Mott in his role as Harvey Specter in Suits because he just like, I want to get in trouble with him. It would be worth it. Right. Like just, but that character and that look, he, blah.
0: Yeah. Great, so, great picks shot up. Love Harvey Specter. That's awesome. Um,
1: Morgan. Who are your zaddies of the week? So my zaddy of the week this
0: week is Zendaya. She is gorgeous, which is very obvious. And she's a brilliant actress. Euphoria is one of my favorite shows. And two weeks ago, my mom and I watched Malcolm and Marie, which I recommend to folks. Trigger warning. (laughs) It's basically a couple that gets in a long fight over the course of the entire movie. So it's just the two of them and you kind of unpack all of their issues, then you find out how they met. You kind of get go down and dirty down to this spiral when you see this couple fighting. But I think that Zendaya is so beautiful, but she also is representing this, the younger generation, this Gen Z super engaged in what's going on politically super open around um, like the topics that are discussed on the TV show that she's on, gender identity, um, sexuality, all these different things that like kids these days and quotes are going through, which is really cool for me as a millennial <laughs> to be able to see. And she also just has swag and she, her, the way that she dresses, the way that she styles herself, the, she doesn't appear to be super concerned with being really girly or being really masculine. She has a really cool androgynous energy, which I adore. So that's my zaddy of the week. Yara, who's yours?
1: My childhood self would never allow myself to admit that this is my zaddy of the week. Um, but I'm going to do it because like, we're all human. We are who we are. Um, and we should embrace every part of our identity. So. <laughs> Are you got be scared?
2: Let's hear no, 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 she's setting I, it up. Was, she's
1: setting it up. Honestly Morgan, I don't think you're going to have a reaction at all. I think that Shauna will have a reaction, cousins, my sister, everyone, but I'm going to say my daddy the weakest Shahrukh Khan. because he was my first crush ever in life and I have struggled to embrace my Indian side as well. As a kid, I would never admit I loved Bollywood movies, but I watched a Bollywood movie at least once a week for comfort. So Shah Rukh Khan, ever since like 95, has been my zaddy of the week. And you know what? I'm not going to be So (laughs) hot. He's only gotten better with age. So hot. Literally only gotten better with age.
2: Iconically hot.
0: So because I have not seen any movies with Shah Rukh Khan, tell me what, tell us what movies we should check out so we can see his hotness.
1: I would suggest starting with, uh, as I call it, DDL, but it's called Stilval Dilaniel Gate came out in 1995. I'd go from that to Kuch Kuch Hai. Then I'd go to Kabhi Kuchu which, Sean, I don't know if you were there for this, but our entire family saw that in the movie theaters. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was the,
2: my five minutes of being Indian phase, which was in my notes too.
1: Shah Rukh Khan and my young crush. You know, I, I again, like I still remember, I had a poster of him when I was a kid. <laughs> so he's always been my love. And now our listeners at home who
0: don't, who are not as deeply entrenched in the Bollywood movie scene, will get the opportunity to see some of these movies. We'll put them in our episode next for you. Well, friends, we're done. This was such an awesome conversation. Shauna, thank you so much for being here. It was so, so great getting to spend time with you and to talk to you and to hear your story.
2: Yara, Morgan, I have to thank you because clearly not nervous anymore um just thank you for accepting me and thank you for guiding with amazing questions and just giving me a safe space to express what I think I know about myself and about the world at large you ladies are awesome and I just want to make a suggestion I need you two to have your own like one day you need to interview Morgan and one day Yara because I would love to hear your stories too
0: thank you Shauna and that's an awesome suggestion
1: I just want to say thank you for being so open and honest. And I mean, I even learned things about you today. Your your talk about being enough in your own identity is inspiring to me because those are things that I know I've struggled with. And I'm so happy that now this conversation has been opened up and fostered between us, so that we can continue these uh, between ourselves and also hopefully within our family and our friends. And yes, friends, you can find us on Instagram at lsmy podcast on Twitter which we are really working to get followers on. So please follow us. Our handle is the same at lsmypodcasts. Leave us a review. Check out our link tree. We have some of our episodes in there. We link our weekly playlist in there. So just check us out. Follow us. Share with your friends. Thanks, guys. Thanks, friends.